Long time no see, friends. Took a little bit of a break for the podcast so I could kick off the new year with some fresh eyes. Woo, what a wonderful year it was. I got into rock climbing. I got my blue belt in jiu-jitsu. Started competing a lot more. My son even started competing in his first set of tournaments. Pushed myself a little bit with the distances for ultra running. Got to explore more of the northern Cascades over here in Washington State. And I'm getting a better idea of what I like to do in the direction I want to head. It's a funny thing. Some people, they know what they want almost immediately from a very young age. While others... It takes them their whole lifetime to figure it out. And then most of us fall somewhere in the middle. Getting to talk with these guests from a variety of backgrounds and interests has really helped me refine what I love to do. And not only that, but strategies to figure that out. And what to do when times are really hard or when I feel lost. I hope that This podcast is at least entertaining for you. Maybe it does the same for you as it does for me. This is episode 58 of the Becoming Human podcast, and I'm your host, Will Nelson. This episode features Bud Jeffries. He's a minister, massage therapist, strongman performing old-time feats of strength, motivational speaker, prolific author with eight books already written, an entrepreneur, and he has several DVD series on a variety of topics. Bud's also won several powerlifting competitions from nationals, state, to cha- and championships beyond. Bud is a very kind guy who coaches beginners and pros on strength and conditioning. This man's heart is impressive. What brought Bud to my attention is his work ethic, empathy, and relationship with strength. While I am not looking to be a power lifter, it fascinates me someone that dedicates their entire life, or at least a great deal of their life, to becoming as strong as they possibly can be. Personally, I'm an athlete. I love participating in a variety of athletics. I'm always looking for that new routine to accentuate my athleticism and to increase my longevity while giving me more power and speed in the short term. It was great to be able to sit down with Bud and listen to the caveats and also the plus side of committing so much time to powerlifting. Bud's fascinating. He's even coaching the elderly. From people who could hardly walk and breathe and showing them they can exceed their limitations. That not not only the limitations that they put on themselves, but perhaps even doctors. I hope that I amount to half the man that butt is as I go through this journey. 
If you guys would like to support the podcast, um, you could head over to the website, becominghumanpodcast.com, pick up a t-shirt or a hat. And if you'd like to check out Bud, you can head over to an unconventionallife.com, and I'll also leave the links to his social media and his website in the show notes for y'all. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I do. Without any further ado, here's Bud Jeffrey. songs and making friends and try my hardest to be the best person I possibly can you show me how to look into myself and see the problem and reminding me no matter who you are that we've all got them now I think of you each time I stop to talk to someone I don't know I can't get rid of you I can't let go of something I can't hold I miss having the option to call you when I'm feeling down you always found a way to listen till you felt me through the phone now I walk around acting like I've learned to deal with it when I just want to sit with this so I can feel how real it is I don't want to let you down I hope I'm making you proud you taught me how to be myself but right now I just don't know how Can't seem to figure out Exactly what I'm supposed to do Sometimes I cry until I can't Sometimes I laugh until I'm blue It's like you live So you learn what it feels like To be dead And then you die So you can finally feel alive again You will always be my friend Forever ever be my friend This is just a new beginning Time will see you soon again Till the end Till it ends You will always be my friend This is just a new beginning Time will see you soon again You will always be my friend Forever ever be my friend This is just a new beginning Time will see you soon again Till the end Till it ends You will always my friend, this is just a new beginning time I'll see you soon again. I find myself between feeling bad for what I lost And feeling grateful for the privilege of knowing you for so long Kill the king, you told me I asked you what it meant You said it means to feel with all your heart and out of your head So now I try to have and figured out how to accept That I won't ever get to see you again until I'm dead Remember on the plane flying home from out west How we made a friendly bet of who could sell my CDs to our fans You loved that game, and so did I Even though I always knew that you would win every night without trying now I'm faced with that meat I can't bite through I ask myself the question I wonder what would Mike do But I know what you would do You'd take your time and think it through And if it didn't come to you You'd walk away and keep you cool And even though the memories are blowing in the wind Just know no matter what You'll always have me as a friend You will always be my friend Forever, ever be my friend This is just a new beginning Time will see you soon again To the end, till it ends You will always be my friend This is just a new beginning Time will see you soon again You will always be my friend Forever, ever be my friend This is just accident I had as a kid and then sort of progressed through an American, like kind of a normal American um, setup of athleticism. In other words, I got into football at 13, but, but how I really, really first started was I, I had an accident when I was five and uh, was in a body cast for, uh, I got hit by a van and it cracked my skull and crashed my hip and took me in a body cast for about three months and I'm in the hospital for about a month. And uh, so my mom actually started me in martial arts uh, about a year later because evidently, uh, you know, this was in the late 70s and there really wasn't a lot of rehab. And what there was rehab-wise wasn't real aggressive. But most of it just sort of sent you home with a bottle of lotion and said, good luck. Kind of oh, really? And, uh, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, they really, you know, you talk about 
that was, let's see, 78 when that happened. So, yeah, they, you know, there may have been some rehab in some, I don't know, if maybe less rural places than I live or whatever, but, like, not. I didn't, and I didn't live in a really super rural place. It just, they just didn't really do much. It wasn't a, and maybe it was because I was a kid. I, you know, I don't know. I don't have a lot of memory from that time because of the head injury, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, they got me into martial arts and that really helped me with like, you know, flexibility and movement and, and all the stuff you would kind of need to, you know, just sort of be a, a back functional human. But it really piqued my interest in doing things physically and sort of opened the door to me to the, I don't know, the effort side of things, the how to work and how to do and how to, and the, the vitality that sort of that whole situation brings. And uh, so I did that for a couple of years. Uh, started off in Taekwondo. Uh, that was, my mom just literally ran into a guy who taught Taekwondo. And, uh, I just oh, got wow. talking to him and, and, yeah, and, uh, just got to talking to him and, and I guess for some reason it came up and, and he said, you know what, I can, think I can help him. And they had a, you know, Taekwondo is a very aggressive as far as stretching and, and flexibility and that kind of, uh, work. And, uh, so we did a ton of that, man, and I got really, really flexible from, from that particular thing, and then, uh, and, and it was really, you know, a great experience to start with, because it really just sort of helped me be into the athletic side of things, and helped me really sort of pique my interest there. I don't know, you know, my, my dad was always a big, strong guy, so I'd always been interested in strength, um, one way or the other. And then later on, uh, about 13 years old, uh, a buddy of mine called me, and he had moved to a little private school, and they had started a football team, and he wanted me to come play. And I'd never played football, or I had anything to do with it, really. And uh, But he convinced me, so I went out to some summer camps and learned a little bit about football, and we played the first year. And then after that, they, they said, you know, hey, listen, you need to lose weights for football. And I ended up uh, to the place of a small school, and they didn't have – they were still setting up a gym. They didn't have – a facility for us to really work out at. So they were like, you guys need to work out and just find a place until next year or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So there's a little gym literally a mile from my house. And it was a little powerlifting gym. And I kind of, you know, my dad took me there and I kind of wandered in there one day and they were like, oh, what does it cost, blah, blah, blah. And didn't say too much or whatever. So I was in there for about three days just sort of imitating what I saw and working out or whatever. And a guy came up to me and said, hey, man, I've been watching you work, and you're really, really trying hard, and there's some things you don't really know. He said, we're going to get ready. We have a whole team of people, which is like six people, <laughs> uh, getting ready for a powerlifting contest. And why don't you come work out with us? And I said, okay, that's cool. And uh, so I started working out with them on an old-school classic Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. And, uh, you know, the rest is sort of history for me, man. <laughs> When you when you started uh, doing the powerlifting, it pretty much eclipsed uh, football for you then. No, actually, not really. I, I, for for about five years, I I, I was you know, sort of half and half. So mm-hmm. I uh, you know played football about half a year. You know that's about that's about what a football season takes, as far as you know. Uh, and um and then uh, the rest of the year, I'd be competing in powerlifting and that kind of thing. Um, and so you, you really couldn't compete in. Go ahead. You can no. Wait, what were you saying? Sorry. Well, you really could. It's you know, it's extremely difficult to try to play football, um, especially because I. So I, the first year I played football I was at a small private school, but the next three were in a, in a, a large high school in Florida, and then one year in college. And uh, the high school I played at was super competitive. Football in in Florida is super competitive. 
So, like, it's a it's very difficult to try to play that particular sport in during the football season. But so we would I would do powerlifting contests in the spring and summer, and then do uh, and play football all the rest of the year. And um, which is actually kind of a great mix on at least to start with, because there's a lot of athletic movement. You know, a lot of you're running and doing all the things necessary with football. And um, and at the time, you know, I was still, it came in some of the kind of old school of things where they talked about, you know, oh, if you do too much conditioning, it takes away from your strength and all that stuff or whatever, which is baloney, though I can see that now. And that's total baloney. Is, you know, maybe on the far, far end of, if you know, if you can run 112 miles in one day, you probably aren't going to hold the record in the world record for squats, but you can be way into endurance and way into strength and, st- and not have any real drop-off in either if you just know how to train it and what you're doing or whatever. But but it did give me that sort of, you know, sprints foundation and some endurance and um, some of those things or whatever. And um, and powerlifting massively helped me in football. I mean, I was basically almost universally the strongest guy in the field, um, basically everywhere. In fact, I actually, I, I even as a freshman, I was a 17-year-old freshman when I went to school, and they had a, a repetition squat test because, you know, football, that, well, <laughs> football people think they know everything in the world about lifting weights, and they don't, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. They really could. But now that's opened way up in the last 20-plus years, too, since I was playing football. That's opened up. They, they they have really, really progressed, even from, you know, the progression in the last 20 years is sort of the progression – uh, from the 20 years before that when they were talking about don't lift weights at all because you were muscle-bound, and then they moved into that, you know, well, no, everybody really should be lifting weights and the whole thing. And now the the, the real progressive strength coaches in, in football and in all the sports really are, you know, are on top of they're smart enough to understand that you learn the best from the people who are the best at what you're, de- at what you're attempting to do. So they're studying from the best weightlifting and strength coaches on the planet and then breeding it into their athletic programs and making the concessions you need or making the, you know, the adjustments you need to turn a full athlete, not just a, a competitive lifter. But, um, yeah. You see that in martial arts because, um, in like for, for boxing, for instance, they would tell them not to mm-hmm. lift weights or whatever because it would hurt their boxing. And then now, you know, in the past 20 years or so, that's completely changed. Oh, absolutely. Everybody, you know, and, and, the, and the thing is, you know, truthfully, when you look at the, the, okay, martial arts is probably the first reason, you know, other than just the pure quest for, for strength that human, that is normal to a human. Um, that martial arts is probably the first reason anybody really did lift weights. In fact, there's, those are where the first organized systems of strength training came from. And if you look at the thousand-year-old systems and really study, like if you study the different Shaolin stuff where they, they have, you know, and not that they're the whatever, they, they make a good example in what I'm talking about because they have the longest recorded history uh, of things, you know, they wrote things down and, and did stuff. But if you look at, like, say, the Shaolin systems and the Hindu systems and even some of the older stuff like that, and some of the other stuff is a little bit more hard to find from an anthropological perspective, but it, it it's there. Those the, the need to train humans to defend themselves, the need to train humans for war, the need to train bred the need to train humans to a bigger, stronger, more physical bodies, and that came out through some sort of strength training, and that's always actually been there, and it was only really until the last hundred years where you really got that, that oh, you shouldn't lift weights, and, you know, you know we kind of moved into a, a, a moment in society where that was a problem, and then people 
found out that that wasn't all that crap wasn't true either, that you're not more muscle bound, you're not more. It's just doing the right things in the right time of training. But what's funny about it is we actually cycle back around the stuff that we see as the coolest and newest today is actually the original stuff that they were doing a thousand and two thousand years ago. Uh, it's kind of ironic too how it's just like it's like the uh, people are always looking for the edges of innovations. However, it's just like almost the reiterations of the same thing. Absolutely, and well, and we see things, you know, because we have a short-sighted view of history, both of the arts and strength, as well as you know, just history. Period. And we're looking at it. Oh, people are stronger today. Mm, if you equalize the drug issue on some of that, not so much, because you look at some of the things in the historical, like, say, stone lifting and that kind of thing. If you take people a thousand years ago for us right next to guys a thousand, you know, today, with the exception of maybe one or two outlier-type humans, you know, maybe the, the top-end guys now who are six foot nine and 450 pounds and doing strongman. But there was guys doing some amazing stuff you know, 100, 200, 500, 2,000 years ago doing phenomenal feats of strength. We're not so much better with modern training or modern techniques or whatever. It's just humans, we think we are because we have short-sized few of us. So was there ever a point when you were doing powerlifting in football where you um, you had to decide, you know, if it was one or the other or that you knew that you loved one more than the other? Well, that decision sort of got made for me. Because uh, I really, I, you know, okay, so I, I found this later on in coaching. You know, most football players lift weights um, for two reasons. They lift weights because of the normal reason that teenage boys lift weights, which is they want to look better for girls, and they think it's, you know, it's that sort of testosterone moment of life. And then the other ones lift weights to be better at football, but they don't really love it. They love football, and they do it as a byproduct. Well, I loved it as much as football. It was at least as as much, if not a little more. I don't know. But that decision kind of got made for me in college in that, you know, at that time in my life and just the way that my mind works about things, I said on a course to do something, I'm stuck with it. I'm, I'm doing it. I, at that point, I would have died to do. I would have just had play. I was doing everything. I, you know, I was just really, really focused on that. Football was what I was going to do. And then in college, I hurt my shoulder. Right, I had a moment where it actually I took a hit on the field, or right? a guy and another guy ran. I ran into a linebacker. We hit each other, and uh, it actually cracked my shoulder joints. It actually the the socket around my my shoulder actually the back side of it chipped, and what it did is it opened a hole that let my shoulder come out of socket, and it yeah, and so the thing that that did. To me, for me, and uh, to me at the moment, but as I look back, back on it now, for me, is it actually changed the force of my life because – so that happened fairly early in the season, and they thought it was just a uh, dislocated shoulder. And so I did rehab and stuff or whatever and, and went back and played again and played for about a week and it happened, and my shoulder dislocated again. Didn't know why. Didn't know what was – and we couldn't figure out, you know. So that happened one more time, and then they uh, they said, "Well, you're out for the season, and you just need to." And so at the end of the season, we'll we'll do some more diagnostic work, and we'll do whatever. So I ended up, and this is funny. I actually was too big to get an MRI. Oh, yes. Yeah. So back then, an open scan MRI was fairly rare, and uh, and they, I was too big to get in. So it's, you know, it's a it's a tube with a conveyor belt that they run you in and out on or whatever. <laughs> I hung up on both sides of the tube. <laughs>
<laughs> and literally the belt you could smell it smoking it was trying to roll me in there and my shoulders were hanging on the other side on either side of it and I just literally it was being here grinding <laughs> I ended up doing a, 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 something called an arthrogram which is not really that pleasant a procedure but they uh, shoot dye and, and air into your joint stick a needle act actually down into the joint and uh-huh. inject it, and 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 then they do a CAT scan and some X-rays and some there or whatever. But the contrast of the dye injected directly in there can tell them exactly what's wrong. And ended up that's when they found out that I'd actually broken it instead of um, instead of a dislocating. Oh, wow. So what that really did is okay. So they came to me and said, "Hey, listen, man, we'll pay for the surgery if you want to have it. We'll do whatever, but you." If you have this surgery, so you the the likely the reality is you're already healing. It's going to be okay, but you have a ninety percent chance of even if you have the surgery, you'll never be able to play football again without that injury reoccurring all the time without it just breaking. Or or you'll and it's serious. It wasn't arthroscopic. Like this is a cut you open, uh, put pins in. And your arm is strapped to your side for two months, and then it's six months of rehab just to get your arm back to functioning because of the, you know, the cut and stuff or whatever. And they said, you know, the likelihood is you you got a ninety percent chance of even if you play again, you'll break the pins off, and it won't. So uh, I, you know, I, I've done some ridiculous, you know, bad odds decisions, gambling type stuff in my life, but that just. You know, dude, 90%. Yeah, this is, so basically that ended my football career. But but honestly, long term, that was a blessing because, you know, the, the likelihood of progressing past the college level in football is super low. And I've been able to do probably more with my life and achieve more. In, in this, and it sort of just opened to let me focus and on lifting and the other things. Plus it was, you know, I, I say this is a, you know, kind of in a joking way or whatever, but it was kind of a million-dollar injury. It saved me three or four years of abuse on my body from football, and it didn't hurt me in lifting. So after the initial couple of months of getting my shoulder back together in rehab or whatever, I, it, it, it never – it didn't cause a problem. It didn't – It didn't. the only time it caused me a problem is, you know, is running in – is a 300-pound guy running into a 250-pound linebacker at full speed. It caused mm-hmm. a problem at that kind of impact. But since then, I did powerlifting. I did strongman training. I did, high, I did strongman competition. I did Highland Games. I did old-time strongman where I did exhibitions all over the country. I did uh, different martial arts and all kind of other things, anything ridiculous and heavy. And if you watch any of my stuff now, some really crazy stuff, and it never created a problem. So but you worried that it something I couldn't problem. leave. Say it again. Were you worried that those things would cause it would cause you problems in those activities though? Oh, uh, at the moment, at that moment, I, man, I was I was like, holy cow, what am I going to do? I said, no, I, you know, and, uh, I, at that moment, that was a, a, a massive mental issue for me because number one, it completely, I, you know, at that moment, I mean, I was 18 years old, I didn't have a backup plan. You know, I didn't have a. I didn't have any thought of having a backup plan at that moment in my life. The way I lived to handle things was to, um, you know, I'm sold out to this course and there is no other course. Well, mm-hmm. but so I spent, you know, a couple of months like trying to get my head back together. Like, uh, what am I going to do? What am I? Because now the the thing I planned to do is gone. <clears throat> but you know, it, I eventually found some other things, and that's actually opened the careers. But actually, both the careers that I have today. Um, 
I actually make a living as a professional strongman, but also as a, um, I'm actually a massage therapist. So after I left college, what I went to school for was massage therapy, um, which taught me a ton about the body and, and doing that. And they really do sort of work hand in hand, and even historically hand in hand. If you look at the old time martial artists, they, you know, they had this thing, learn to hurt, learn to heal. And also, um, the old time physical culturists, a hundred years ago, many of them had, uh, essentially, the early physical therapy practices came from from weightlifters. Um, really? And well, if you look at a lot of that, they had they had you know the, a lot of the stuff they talk about was restorative um, stuff. When back when doctors weren't really doing it, and they were they were the edge of that thing. They a lot of them had massage practices, or also had um, you know that if you look at a lot of their mail order stuff, they even talk about well, we're gonna you know we'll fix your back, that you're breathing, that you're whatever. And uh, so that, for me, they're not, you know, they're not an inconsistent set of things to do, but actually being in college, I got the opportunity to speak into a strongman exhibition for the first time there um, because, uh, actually because of a church I went to, and uh, a guy knew me, that knew that I had already been, you know, prior to actually getting to college, I'd already won the USTF team national championship and set a bunch of national records. And, and actually there was a guy named Anthony Clark who was one of the biggest powerlifters in the world at the time, and he's since passed away. But he worked with a prison ministry that was coming to that church, and they billed him, and he really was one of the world's strongest men. First guy to bench press 800 pounds. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, first first guy in the – first guy to um, – well, first teenager to ever, he was ridiculous, dude. He was five, like five, 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 six, and about 350 pounds. He was insane. He looked like a, like a barrel that you put skin over. I mean, he was that time, he was just, I mean, massive. Uh, up until that time, he's the biggest human as far as muscles I'd ever seen in my life. Not tall, but just massive. I mean, like, he had legit between 24 and 25 inch arms. That's crazy. And how did that impress upon you at the time? Well, you know, he was, I mean, he was, at the time, he was the top bench presser in the world. And, you know, and what he did, and he had a very kind of a cool thing. I mean, he he, uh, he was working with his prison ministry, and they would go do, you know, exhibitions, and he would speak and that whole thing. And they asked me to drive him around, and I hung out with him for the weekend. And they asked me prior to that for, for me to do an exhibition for that. They had a little local cable TV show, and they wanted to promote the group coming. And so they asked me to help do it by doing the thing. So I, you know, back then there's no internet, so I just researched around and saw guys spending some steel bars and some magazines and stuff I found. So I'm like, oh, I can do that. And I did that and some other stuff I just sort of figured out and then spoke for a couple of minutes. And but that opened the door for me to learn to, you know, be a speaker. To, I feel like I had a, a calling in my life to do that. I feel like that was my purpose, as well as sharing strengths and that kind of thing. And just opened this massive set of doors. Anthony was the... It was one of the wildest things I'd ever seen up close at that time for for a bunch of reasons. Number one, I'd seen some, you know, I was a big guy. I was already 275, 300 pounds. But I'm taller than him. He was massive in a way that, like, at the moment, it, it's it's a weird thing when you meet somebody that big up close. And even today, you know, bodybuilders you know, are, are bigger than they used to be and that whole thing. But it's a rare deal. Like, a 20-inch arm is one thing. A 25-inch arm is a whole nother realm. So, like, holy crap. And uh, that was he was the high expectations, too. It did. It did. Well, that motivated me. And I had already seen, you know, when I, when I was about 15, 16 years old, I set this goal. 
Uh, I want to squat a thousand pounds. Squats was kind of always my baby as as a, a lifter, and that was that was my personal pet lift. That's the one I really had the most talent for. And I saw Fred Hatfield do it in a video. And at the time, at that time, there'd only been four or five, six guys that were right in that thousand pound range. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to do this. Well, I didn't know at that moment it was going to take me 16 years to accomplish. Um. You know, and I didn't know all the changes in thought process and the changes in growth and, and thinking about how you lift weights and why you lift weights and what you do with your body that I for that time. But, you know, Anthony was just a whole other realm, man. I, I actually took him, he wanted to do a little light workout to just sort of tune up because he was traveling all the time. So I took him to a gym up there. I watched him, you know, perform and do the other stuff he was doing. But, like, and then I watched this guy take four or five on incline with, like, one warm-up set and do – I do the most ridiculously easy set of like five reps I'd ever seen anybody do. It was psychotic. It wasn't even. I mean, he was benching one third. He was benching four or five on an incline, like it was an empty bar. I mean, it was, it, it was ridiculous. Um, but he also, you know, and he was a, he was a good dude. He was he was a nice guy, but he also was sort of a cautionary tale later on to me, because later in his life, and. Well, later in his life, Anthony actually passed away, probably purely from lifting. He actually had a car accident, and he, but he'd had some heart issues and stuff already, and, and he was the outer edge limit of what a human can carry as far as mass and body weight and still be, you know, relatively athletic to be strong or whatever, but he was over the edge of what you can do and be healthy. Um. As and and by what like um, it, when you say like over the edge of what you can do to be healthy like uh, what were characteristics about it that was unhealthy? Well, okay, so you know, I okay I, at that time I'm playing football. I'm two. I'm, I'm three hundred pounds. You know, whatever. But I'm still running a lot. I'm still moving a lot. There's still a lot of conditioning and stuff or whatever. And and ironically. I'm 45 today, and I'm in better shape than I was then by a long shot. I mean, much my endurance is much better than I was as a football player. I, my whole, whole paradigm shift on on what endurance and training and all that stuff was. Um, actually, I'm, I'm literally I'm light years ahead of where I was 20 plus years later. Then, but he was the first guy I'd ever seen who was just phenomenally over the top, powerful. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about you know top five, ten guys in the world, world class power. But he didn't couldn't walk long distances without getting winded, and he you could hear him breathe across the room, and uh, oh, wow. and you know he was he was over the top as far so you know you're talking about a guy who was squatting nine hundred a thousand pounds and bench pressing you know six hundred to seven hundred six hundred to six fifty raw and eight hundred with a shirt, mm-hmm. and and you know was just a phenomenally powerful human, but he was carrying so much mass. And Overworked his internal organs. Yeah, in fact, this okay. I'll give you an example of how you could tell this. This is funny. This is actually hilarious. If you ask me, it's funny anyway. So we we spend the whole weekend together. We drive around. I go around and took him to all these shows. He's smoking a bunch of prisons. He's smoking church. We we hung out the whole time. So at the end of the weekend, he ain't got nothing to do. He's got to wait for his flight the next day or whatever. So we end up with a couple with like a day where there's you know the the end of one day, like the last five or six hours, we're, we're just hanging out. There's nothing to do. So we had dinner. And now here's the other thing. That's the first time I've seen a human eat like eight times a day and like 10,000 calories a day. Oh my gosh. 
this dude, he was sponsored by one of the early mass gainer companies, and he would walk around, he'd top three or four. They used to have these shakes that were pre-done in a, in a container and with powder in them, and all you had to do was dump water in and shake it up. And they were like a 1,000 calories a piece. He was talking like three of them a day, as well as eating Whoa. a sandwich. I mean, you're talking about, so that's the first person. So no wonder he was, you know, five, 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 six, and 350, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so, all right, so I'm a big guy. I'm already at six foot tall, and at that time I'm like 300 pounds or whatever, and he's way, and he makes me look tiny at that time, at that point. I mean, he makes me look just little. And uh, we go to a movie at the end of the weekend, okay? And it's kind of, it's the one movie with Wayne. <laughs> it was poor. It's been a long weekend. He, he was tired, but he wanted to go. That's why he wanted to. So we hung out and did that or whatever. So there's not a lot of people. But it was, uh, there was a few, you know, so, so we're sitting sort of mm-hmm. off to the left. And then they come to the back of the theater. Well, about midway through the movie, he falls asleep. And his head falls back what? and he starts snoring. <laughs> and it's loud. It's dominating the movie. It's like you can't hear. You're not hearing the dialogue over the, the, the snore. And people are looking, but they look, and then they look twice at both of us sitting next to each other. And especially him, you know, it's the biggest human you've ever seen up, up close. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, he, and he's snoring, and you can tell so bad they want to say something. Nobody says a word. Everybody just looks and turns back around and goes right to the movie. <laughs> Again, but, you know, so the story itself is funny, but the reality is, you know, he, he's snoring because his chest can't, his chest is caving in on his heart. He can't, I mean, you're talking about, you can be, you can be, he is the absolute, one of two or three guys I've met, and I got close to this in my life. I, I did it in a way, I, so at that time I was 300 pounds, but when I got to my all-time biggest and strongest, all right, I had set that goal to squat 1,000 pounds. When I, when I actually squatted 1,000 pounds, I was almost 400 pounds body weight. Whoa. So I gained, yeah. And so I, and I never did quite get to where Anthony was. I, I carried it a little better, I guess, and, and I did maybe a few more athletic things or whatever. And, you know, um, uh, and I, was, I really wasn't younger than him. I just had maybe a better experience as far as the athleticism and stuff or whatever. And, or, and, and, but even I found, you know, okay, so I was right at 400 pounds, or you know, and I squat 1,000 pounds, dude. At that moment, I could do some phenomenal power stuff. You know, I could mm-hmm. do, um, yeah, I, I did a 1,000-pound squat. I did the, basically a 600-pound bent over row. I, I took a yoke. I, I walked a yoke, a 1,300, over 1,300-pound yoke for 10 feet. Um, I carried a 600-pound uh, stone for 40 feet. You know, I did some phenomenal strength stuff, but I, I was having to sleep 10 or 12 hours at a time because I, it was, you know, I, I was, uh, I don't, I, if I didn't, I don't think I actually had sleep apnea, but I was on the border of it. And I was mm-hmm. on the border, and I had watched too many guys, you know, and I, I'd watched too many guys be that huge and then just try to hold it as long as they could, and they got so mentally I have to do this, have to do this, have to do this. And then they get sick and they start having heart problems and they start having diabetes and start having all the things. You can't do that. I mean, you just can't, you just can't be that big, even if you're in shape. You know, it's, oh, so really? I was 400 pounds, but it's not like I was, it, well, you know, you, everybody has a tipping point. I mean, I was 400 pounds and it wasn't like I was sitting on the couch eating Doritos. I was working out, you know, multiple times a week. But, 
Mm-hmm. I think everybody has a tipping point past which you just, you're pushing the body to a, a, a direction that it can do, but it can't maintain for a long period of time. And, and at that point, that is the opposite and extreme of your, you just can't carry the cardio. You have too much body weight to carry the cardio that you need. So I hung around there for a year or so after I, after I actually did do that thousand pound squat. And then I cut a hundred pounds. I, I lost a hundred pounds, um, purely because I, I got, and I, I restructured my thought process and that kind of plays into what we're talking about. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm in better shape now than I was in my late teens playing football because I got the idea that strength isn't just how much you can lift. And it is how much you can lift. So that's, there's a thing about that in my mental wheelhouse of what's going on with this or with strength and endurance and, and things and all that stuff. We tend to look at uh, modern training tends to look at the weightlifter or the strength training guy as an, uh, the, the powerless as an outlier, okay? So I don't think about it that way. I think every one of us should be comparing ourselves that way. We should be literally lifting what we can possibly do and not mentally limiting ourselves saying, oh, that guy's a competitor. I can't do what he does. Yes, you can. But at the same time, you need to regard strength in many formats and in the formats that say it is, okay, for me, it's just as mentally a strength feat today to squat seven or 800 pounds as it is to swing a kettlebell a thousand times or swing a sledgehammer a thousand times or do a thousand dumbbell snatches or that they're the same. That's, those are both strengths. I don't, I look at that. Okay. One is the strength of my heart or the strength of my, you know, the endurance of my body and mind or whatever. And one is the pure essence of, you know, physical power, you know, in a very limited, you know, very, um, your short burst situation, but they're both, you need both. They're both the same. They're both just as important. Whereas, you know, at some point as a power lifter, you're prior to prioritizing just that one thing. Well, I think you can have both. And why not? And now I don't, truth is, I don't know if I, and I don't want to do this. If I went on a quest again, so I'm, you know, I'm under 300 pounds today, but if I decided, well, I want to get back up to, you know, 380 again and, and see if I can, carry 380 pounds and still be able to do a thousand snatches in, in, you know, 30, 40 minutes without, you know, and can I squat a thousand pounds again if I, if I gain the body weight back to do it? I don't know. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you can do, I don't know if that, I, that might, I don't know if that's the top end of where you can go or whatever, but for my, for my money, it's better for me today to be able to squat 800 pounds and, and, and have the cardio to do an hour without dying. And I'm talking about a hard hour, uh, an hour, you know, an hour of sledgehammer work, not just, you know, I'm not talking about an hour walking the treadmill. Everybody else will be able to walk for an hour, but I'm talking about high-intensity cardio that lasts for like an extended period of time. And when you're, like, looking back at these things, right, um, mm-hmm. and what are your motivations for it? Like, what do you, what do you get out of um, – doing these strength and conditioning regimens or these cardio regimens? Like, if you could distill why it satisfies you. Well, why it's satisfying? Uh, you know, uh, for me, yeah. I, I feel like... See, people say, people say that to me all the time. Or people say, you know, normal people ask the question, why, uh, why would you push yourself that hard? Why would you do that? And my question, or the way I look at it is, why aren't you... Finding something that you like enough to put your to to give an effort to that 
that opens the vitality of a human being that you are not experiencing. You have no idea how alive I feel when I do those things because I'm immediately, intensely, ultimately connected, mind, body, spirit together all at one moment. When you, you want to clarify your mind, stick the heaviest weight you can possibly hold on your shoulders and lift it. Mm-hmm. There will, you know, most people, you know, they can't control their thoughts. They can't get their, you know, oh, well, I can't stop these random thoughts. You put yourself in the most intense physical situation, random thoughts will melt away. Mm-hmm. They, they just are gone. Cool. And, and not only that, you, okay, most people never feel like I feel most things. And here's what I mean by that. I, I feel the ultimate um, opening of energy in the human body by, by, because I'm passionate about what I'm doing and I'm physically giving everything to what I'm doing. Well, you don't feel that playing Nintendo and you don't feel that. Uh, you know, not that mental and, and, uh, and other things aren't, you know, intelligent and, and capable of doing, but physical vitality is something we should have, and you are not having it if you are not opening all the areas of the body together. Even if you don't love, I love lifting weights, but even if you don't love it, you need to find, in my opinion, to be a totally woke human being, to be the absolute essence of the top end of what you can possibly be. You're not that if your mind isn't as sharp as possible, your body isn't as sharp as possible, your spiritual thoughts aren't as sharp as possible. And if you're not actively doing something to do all those things, you're missing out. And I think people, you know, we read everything as mythological. All these heroes did all this stuff. Well, you know what? If you train your body to be a tough of theirs, you will feel what they felt. You will literally feel every day the life forcing through you like you're supposed to feel. And we just don't do that. We, we're walking in sedentary routines, and even if we're not sedentary, we're working. We're doing boring jobs for, you know, whatever purpose, and it doesn't excite you. And not only that, it doesn't push you. It doesn't open the door to what you can possibly physically be. And the potential is there. We just don't touch it because we don't see the importance of it. Well, for me, I, for me, that's as important as... Anything else, you know, whatever else you regard as important, that's the same importance to me. It's just, I don't understand why people aren't doing that. Oh, I would never want to put out that effort. Oh, you must be tired. No, your body produces energy for what you require of it. So because this is what I require of my body, I have that energy. And I feel alive in a way. I feel the vitality of, of what I think is thousands of years of human existence forcing through my body in a way that most people never do because they never try anything that truly pushes them the way that the stuff that I do all the time pushes me. Mm-hmm. I've, when I've started getting into strength and conditioning um, and, and, and endurance feats, I've never understood uh, how good that I could feel and, like, the nuances of my emotions, the ability to be able to control my mind um, and to cope with the world around me. I mean, I always, like, tell people, like, from the outside, you know, you look at people doing strongman competitions, and if you've never, you know, done something like that yourself, you're like, why do people want to lift these? But, uh, or, like, you know, that looks easy. You just lift it and then drop it. And it's like, no, it's so much more than that. It, it almost takes, like, um, to be able to do, like, a max uh, deadlift or a max squat, right? It takes more focus than I've ever had to focus on anything in my life. Because if I don't, there's it's failure. I, I can't physically do it. It's like right. there's no cutting the corners. You know, you could 
you know, skate by and anything, a lot of other things, that, a lot of things that you can do, right? Uh, like even high level intellectual pursuits require like an extreme amount of focus, but hardly anyone puts themselves in those scenarios and putting yourself in those scenarios puts your life in such a different perspective. It's, it's surreal. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I'm, okay. So what I'm doing physically is the same thing that, you know, uh, a brilliant scientist who's in his lab, who is locked down on discovering something and, and can't, and can't let it go and, and spends an inordinate amount of time and is over, uber super focused on, on the, on figuring out a theory or the same thing that a guy who, you know, makes a billion dollars and is, and is, is intent in that way and it, it is focused in that way. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's the same thing. That's focus. That, and that moment of focus is an experience that goes through the rest of your life. And, it's like it opens this whole other door of what's possible. In, 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 and for me, it opens it in lots of realms, not just in strength. It's not, you know, that whole thing. And, and you're going to see a lot of people who are going to say, yeah, 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 you guys just love what you're doing and you're overblowing it. But that's not true. You ever experience that moment, you'll be able to have that, that memory of that moment carries over into other things. Into how you, you know, into, so now that plays over in the rest of my life, and that plays over in how I feel every day, and it plays over in what I believe I'm capable of, and what I believe I'm capable of in multiple human endeavors, and, and it's the same thing that other people do. I just happen to love this particular thing, and, and because I do, I think I have a better, a little broader experience, or a little broader thought process, and, you know, um, like I was raised by people who are very physical, but I was raised in a way that said, um, you know, the ultimate pursuit of what you can do is be an intellectual, and work in an office or work as a doctor or work as something. It's the, it's the idea of we want better, we want a better life for you. We don't want you to have to work hard. We want you to use your mind. Well, but those things should be working together. Our mind and body should be together. Even if you are the most brilliant scientist on the planet, you still need to work out. Even if you're a workout guy who's the strongest guy on the planet, you still need to read and be intelligent and, and, and cross use those skills. And the skill of mastering one thing gives you the skill of mastering another. If you can focus hard enough to create the most brilliant new theory in science, you can get strong. And if you can focus hard enough to get a max deadlift, you can focus hard enough to work hard enough to get promoted or work hard enough to make your life better or have a better relationship or write a book or whatever it is you can do. Those skills cross-apply, and they open up areas in life that people just can't even fathom until you actually do it. You, you, you could, uh, and I've seen that myself because the discipline that it'd be required to, like, let's say, write a book, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. It's so much easier when you are able to put an athlete's mindset to it because, right. you know, there once again, there is no like curtailing it. Or, for instance, it'd be, um, I there's probably someone out there who disproved me, but it'd be really hard to get drunk every day, um, all day, and then uh, do athletic endeavors, right? And um, but it, you could still do that and write. I can still lack that. You could still just have like a poor quality of life and be a novelist. But if you were to do, you know, to be in the place where you can value a quality of life and you have the discipline to instill that and live by that, then I would argue that any other endeavor that you have intellectually or creatively would um, be uh, exponentially more effective and efficient. You even see that like, for people like you, right, you've written several books. Um, I mean, you you work really hard, man. And there's even people historically, like Hemingway, for instance, who puts exercise, mm-hmm. you know, the highest degree, and even um, Benjamin Franklin as well. Mm-hmm. 
I think you, you know, I think, uh, I think everything plays on it, and this is going to sound crazy, and there are obviously people who, you know, who, who are different on this, but I think life plays on, on a reciprocally inhibitive principle. Meaning this, you can only, you can only out of balance for so long to tip the scales to one thing without balancing the rest, without holding back the thing you really care about. Um, and, and, okay, in the principles of physical, what I'm talking about with that, I watch guys, I, I literally saw this even recently with a, with a lifter, okay, one of the strongest people on the planet. But cardio-wise, uh, too exhausted to max, even though they're only doing one rep sets. Right. Now, you're talking about a guy lifting, you know, a 1,000 pounds. So the effort in lifting a 1,000 pounds, even though it's only a few seconds long, is difficult to give a, a voice to, to somebody who has never actually had it on their back or whoever. But um, So for most people, you've got to think about like this. Um, that one set of one rep is the same as if you just did the hardest cardio you could possibly do for 20 minutes and you're, you know, it, it, it's the same level of physical effort given out in 10 seconds that you could give out. But I, but here's what I mean by reciprocally inhibited. I watched him do a workout and it, and, and literally sub-maximally fail because he was too tired from he was too tired from just the effort of wrapping his own knees or doing the other stuff or whatever. Um, things that shouldn't shouldn't be much of a cardio taxing. But you're talking about uh, the body is so adjusted to one thing. It's so balanced toward that one thing that the other things are neglected. And so even though he's only doing a 10-second effort, that 10-second effort is hindered by being out of balance. It's, uh, in other words, I got so stupid strong that I was exhausted by the things I'm getting strong from, even though they only last a so short a period of time. The cardio is not enough. If you don't balance, you don't, and, and then what I'm, what I'm saying will make sense in a second. If his cardio was better, his max strength would be better, even though that's, you know, quote-unquote scientifically, un, you know, it, it would be difficult to prove in a lab, but if you watch it in the real world, well, intellectually, your mind functions better if your body functions better. Your body functions better when your mind functions better. Your spirit functions better when all of that is functioning better. If you overhammer one thing, even if you over, you know, just intellectually pursue things but don't have the physical vitality to, okay, do you know why monks in, in, do you know why monks started to work out in the, in the Shaolin tradition? They started to work out in the Shaolin tradition because they did hours and hours of high-level meditation, and they could not physically sustain the meditation because they weren't in shape enough to sustain the mental work. So they started to train and physically work out because their bodies needed to be able to endure what it took to take their minds to the ultimate place. Whoa. That's what... that's what I'm saying. We, we we inhibit every area of our life if we don't balance it out in some way or another. And the same as I think it's inhibited to be, you could be the strongest guy on the planet, and if you can't carry on a decent conversation, that doesn't make you much of a human being. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's more to there's more to life and all of those things. And here's the thing: now, some some and a lot of people are going to say, "Well, you just you do this all the time." But you know what? You don't have to spend every hour every day doing this. You can. This is a this is a way huge payoff types of endeavor for not a lot of time invested. 
you know, you can get strong, you can get strong in a very small amount of actual work. And you can, um, now endurance, you know, obviously is a different thing because endurance by its very nature requires a certain amount of time, um, you know, to be involved. But like, even that, you don't have to spend, you know, it, it's, they're like, oh, you guys work out four hours a day. No. Sorry, it doesn't work like that. There might be a couple of days, you know, once in a while where it goes to that level where we're pushing a particular endurance thing, but, you know, a lot of days, man, I'm busy and it's 10 minutes and I'm out the door. <laughs> or 20 yeah, or, right. or, you know, or, not, or, you know, a lot of times, and the average workout for me don't last more than an hour. Mm-hmm. And that's when I'm not really pushing the pace. A lot of times, you know, 30 minutes to an hour is the top end of where I'm going, with the exception of if I'm pushing for a particular skill or a particular, um, endurance feet that takes, you know, that extra amount of time. And so why not have every, you were talking about like Hemingway, okay, now, and now Hemingway might be a bad example because Hemingway probably is somebody who exercised every morning in the road every afternoon and got drunk every night. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, much, pretty much. That's pretty much, you know. Uh, um, and, and not just drunk, like stammered drunk, not like, you know, not like had a few drinks, but like, oh, yeah. You know, legendary <laughs> love. You know. Yeah. You know. But but as an example of that, and even then, Hemingway as an example is an, is an example of somebody with with a, a brilliant lust for life and and still had also mentally out of balance. Yeah, and you know what I'm saying. A, a brilliant writer, physically physically exceptionally vital in the pursuit of lots of you know really intense things or whatever. Very intellectual, you know also. Person also maybe abusive to himself and definitely had depression issues of of the other you know other things that again the the balances don't 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 check at the end of the day if you're not working on every box if you're not looking at yeah. need to build the best physical unit I can experience this life in and why wouldn't you put the the why wouldn't you make the thing that carries you around the best it can possibly be when it carries around the essence of your being and your mind. Why, why would you not do that? Why, why not do the best you can do? And that doesn't mean you have to spend 12 hours a day. It just means do the work to get more out of life. And why would you make the mind, you know, why would you make, dude, who wants to be, you know, a, and what's funny about that is people really do judge you about how, by how you look or whatever. People see me all the time and um, <laughs> they think I'm either a muscle head or because, you know, okay, I'm a big bald uh, bearded, tattooed guy, so I think I'm a hell's angel or a, or a, uh, uh, I think I must be stupid. I think I must be, you know, oh, well, you know, we, you know, let me explain, you know, listen, buddy, uh, I got it. Don't worry, I'm, listen, I promise you, I can keep up in, you know, um, we really do judge each other on those things. You don't have to be, you know, the biggest guy walking in the room or whatever, but you can be, there's so much more you can be. Uh, right now I'm training a group of women. Uh, which is the weirdest thing in the world. The, the, the biggest, most barbaric looking cat you can find or whatever, who does the craziest stuff anybody will do. And who wants to come work out with me? These 12 older women. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, That's so cool. Dudes, dudes call me all the time. They're like, dude, can I come work out with you? Sure. They come once and leave. They don't, the women come back. <laughs> I don't know what it is. They don't. But it's this amazing little experiment, and, I, and I'll tell you why. What happened was I, I have, I've seen several of these people as clients in massage and other stuff or whatever, and they had, they had long-term physical problems that somebody couldn't solve for them. They had, 
you know, they had uh, one lady had a has a paralyzed diaphragm on her one side of her diaphragm is paralyzed, and Whoa. another way, yeah, yeah, which is a, which is a, you wouldn't it doesn't sound that yeah, but when you start thinking about the breathing issues that that creates for her, it's a massive problem. And one lady has a an ankle that the doctor wants to do an actual ankle replacement on. It's damaged to the point it, it which is like an unusual. They don't even do that very often, kind of thing. And another lady has a hip issue that doesn't, you know, she could, she if she walks a certain amount of time, the nerves in her hips go basically just crazy. And, and uh, another lady had cancer four separate times in her life, four different cancers over the course of her life. She had twenty five different surgeries over the course yeah. of her life. So you're talking about people with massive physical issues, and that um, they couldn't get they they just either because they couldn't. They, they couldn't get to gyms or they just couldn't, they, or if they got to gyms, people who were there didn't know what to do with them. They didn't mm-hmm. know, like the lady, the lady who, the lady who had the cancer, the lady who, she sort of become my little poster child of, of some of this stuff. Because, okay, she was going around, she, her doctor said, listen, you're, you're, you're what we consider cancer free, but you're so physically damaged by what's going on, you have to go do something. Your BMI is going crazy, you're, you're not going to live a lot longer or you're not going to live in quality of life. You don't do some, something to fix things or whatever. And so she'd go around trying to find this stuff, but she was existing in pain, high-level pain all the time because of the toxicity from the chemo and all the other stuff, the things it does to you. That's some horrible stuff, man. And so yeah, I, I couldn't believe this. Couldn't believe this, dude. This, this lady turned 60 years old, but when you watch her walk, it's the most horrible, painful thing. When I first met her, I mean, it, I, she, she probably couldn't take a step more than six inches long. That's uh, that's oh. as far as she could open her legs. She couldn't do, you know, anything. This is that was it. That's the end of the, that's as far as she could go. And she went to a uh, I probably shouldn't name the gym because they'll probably sue me. But it, she went to a gym, and the, these people tried to get her to do a box jump. What the first day? Now, if you Whoa. watch this lady walk, she looks like she needs a walker. She can barely, mm-hmm. she's barely, you know, barely, barely walking. And the guy wanted her to wow. do, oh, yeah, you can do these. Are you stupid? Are you, like, you know, are you, like, that's, like, criminally negligent, almost. Like, that's not even, but, you know, that's the, the low level of, what that is, is that's some knucklehead who got a job at a gym, who went through their little training course or whatever, and doesn't have any real-world experience, and has one cookie-cutter thing to put people through, and that's what that's what we do. And mm-hmm. doesn't have the breadth of knowledge to be able to say, listen, this is a dumb thing to do with somebody who, you know. And she's, and my, my nice old lady is, is, is a wonderful, super kind-hearted lady, but she's kind of feisty, and she told the guy, she's like, you know, when I was younger, I was fairly athletic, and I might get on that bus. But are you going to call nine one one to get me off? Are you going to are you going to are you going to carry me out? And she like, and the guy's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Are you?" She like, "Seriously, have you not looked at me? I can barely stand up. If I get up there, it's going to break something. How am I going to get? You know?" And uh, I'm like, "Are you?" Like, are you just you're not right? Are you? You're not. Are you really worried? Yeah. Are you just some guy off the street? I mean, so I, I I didn't really want to do this. I didn't really want to personally train people anymore. I'd, I've done that before. I don't really care about, you know, it's okay. But so I, I said to them all, I got them together and said, listen, everybody needs to work out. 
I think I have the knowledge and things that can help us and stuff. I'll give you two days a week. We'll come to my house for a couple of hours. Yeah, everybody come here. And I figured this, if you're committed enough to drag out to the middle of nowhere and work out in the backyard with a crazy guy, you're desperate enough to need <laughs> the help. And they all started showing up. Uh, uh, and and here's the thing. I trained them about as counterintuitively as you could do com- considering the normal methods of fitness. And How they so? all Well, in that, okay, so that lady had been going to physical therapy for a couple of years after her after her last surgery and stuff or whatever, and they're having her do all these correctives and having her do, you know, four sets of 20 reps of everything. And everybody who walks into a normal gym, the first thing they're going to do, well, let's do three sets of 10 or 12 or these things or whatever. You know what I started them with? I started them with one rep sets of the simplest mm-hmm. movements we could do and actually pushing them to progress in weight not in repetitions. And it's the most, most people would say that is the, that you're, that's the worst decision you can possibly make. But you know what? They're not thinking, they're not thinking it through. They're not thinking about why. We've got an entire group of people who physically can't tolerate the soreness and the inflammation inflicted upon them by multiple high rep sets of even simple corrective exercise. But they can get through a couple of sets of one or two reps of things, and they can add a pound or two, or they can add a little bit more here and there and every day. And over the course of a couple of months, they actually got quite a bit stronger. And what they could lift one to two to three to five times and adding just a small amount of volume here and there made huge differences in what they could tolerate in intense moves, and now they can tolerate a few things, and, and I purposely picked movements that were challenging, that challenged things that they didn't think they could do, that they had been told they couldn't do, and that didn't create much muscle soreness, because you're talking about people who are living with massive amounts of inflammation from things that have happened from accidents or surgeries or chemicals or, or whatever in their life, but mm-hmm. they could still get strong. Okay, I, I have had, mm-hmm. let me think here, I have had 10 or 12 women between 50 and 74 years old all do at least one rep and some of the multiple reps in the last three months with a 150, deadlifting 150-pound kettlebell. Whoa. Yeah. Now, that's not, you know, that's not breaking anybody's world record, but you're talking about multiple women uh, in their 50s to 70s, most of them with massive physical problems, all be able to deadlift 150 pounds. Uh, which is way more than most trainers would have them do for the actual weight. It's just a lot less volume. But you know what? Every one of them is functioning better. They're walking better. They can get out of chairs. They can get out of the car. They can get out of this thing. Why? Because strength is a component that the average trainer does not understand. They don't understand what's possible. And these people were told they could do it. They were told they it was possible. They were told they could do it. And actually, I kind of pulled a fast one on them. Most of the time. And like one of the reasons I started with a kettlebell deadlift is it's biomechanically one of the most simple um, moves to do, and it's almost kind of hard to do wrong because uh, mm-hmm. they still have a ton of physical limitations. So, like, we were, the first little while, some of them couldn't even get down to pick up the kettlebell off the ground, so I'd actually put the kettlebell on blocks so they could actually reach it. And that kind yeah. of thing. But now everybody can get it off the ground. Everybody can, and everybody's lifting a lot heavier. And everybody can move a little more and doing all those things here. There's just, you know, 
that I, my, I, part of the reason I used kettlebells is because it had kilogram markings on them and they couldn't tell how much it weighed. They couldn't, mm, in other words, yeah. they, said, they said 20 kilograms. Well, they're all Americans. They don't, they only read pounds. They don't read kilos. They don't know, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, they're not weightlifters. They don't know what 100 kilos means or that kind of thing or whatever. So, in the psychologically, that's right. Because all I told them is, you know, and, and so now we have a running joke about this. Everything weighs 25 pounds. That my, my yard is a magical place where even the thing that says it weighs 150 pounds only weighs 25 pounds. Um, because for the first month, I didn't tell anybody what anything weighed. I just said lift it. And they didn't, they just paid attention and then said, but here's the thing. After, after that first little experience and after that first little while and they, you know, then they were, you know, so they're lifting a 35 and then a 50 pound kettlebell and then a 70 pound one. And then after a while, they're lifting a 90 pound one. And then after a while, they, you know, so they're not dumb. They're adding up that that ball is a lot bigger than that other ball. It's got to weigh more. But I never yeah. tell them how much it weighs until later. And I didn't tell them because they're so conditioned by life and society that that number is heavy. Mm-hmm. And the number really isn't that heavy. But their paradigm of what's heavy is anything, you know, if I had told them anything over 50 pounds, they, they, they oh, that's, that's too heavy. You can't possibly pick that up. Mm-hmm. And after that, all of them like the, about a about a hundred pounds, I told them, you know, they were like, "Oh, that feels kind of heavy," and you know, I didn't, you know, I don't think we should lift more than fifty pounds. I'm like, "You just lifted a hundred pounds." They're like, "What? I can't believe it!" You know? <laughs> I didn't know you could. You didn't. You weren't. You know. And yeah. the mental the mental shift to to that made in a lot of these women's lives of holy crap. I really can do. Maybe I can get out of a chair and be okay. Maybe I can get back to walking again. I just lifted 150 pounds. In the grand scheme of the world, is 150 pounds that big a deal? But it is to them. Mm-hmm. It, you know, wow. it is to them because that just opened the door. They're like, "Holy crap!" I, I, I never ever in my life believed I would ever lift that much, and I just lifted it and didn't even know I did it. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's made a huge impact in their in their world. And and that's incredible. And it made these it made it possible for them to do other stuff. It made it possible for them to be able to do some things. And and that particular way of doing it made it possible in a way that didn't make them sore, didn't add much in, much into inflammation. In fact, several of them they actually their inflammation went way down. Um because, you know, they're moving and they're getting and even that strength thing we're we're taught, we're so taught that, oh, don't ever listen to anything heavy, don't ever do you know, several of them had, you know, had a prior in their life and had a bad back or leg or hip or whatever. And what we're told to do is baby it forever. And that's a dead wrong thing to do. If you yeah, do that, that's exactly it. But that is a recipe for never getting back to functional. For never truly healing if you don't push that thing back to a higher level. And most of the world is existing right now, at least in America, is existing right now with a level of strength just barely above what it takes to do their life. Just mm-hmm. barely above. And that's why we're hurt and in pain all the time, because we don't have enough strength for our body to have a reserve fight inflammation, and we don't have enough strength to get through life. So that way, when we pick up one extra bag of groceries instead of our normal bag of groceries, or we pick it up in one slightly twisted, odd way, our body doesn't have enough strength to withstand it, and then we're hurt all the time. 
by simple things that shouldn't hurt a human, that anthropologically and historically wouldn't, wouldn't our ancestors wouldn't even have blinked at. And now we've weakened to the point, and we've created this mental thought of, this is heavy, you shouldn't do that, you know, that's dangerous to you. You know what's dangerous? Not being strong. Not having bone density, not having tendon and ligament strength, not having legitimate grip and leg and back strength that gives you the ability to deal with the world. And we have softened the world to the point that you can live in America with just thumbs. If you got thumbs, you can function. You don't, if you, maybe not even thumbs. If you can just press the button on a smartphone, you can order food, work, do anything in the world. You don't really have to be physical in any way. But we still walk, we still go to the gas station, we still pick up groceries, we still do those things. And we're weak to the point that the littlest, simplest things that five-year-olds can do is killing adults. Yeah. Being weak is the most dangerous thing. And not only that, it weakens your mind. Most of these women had had a thought process before they got into this. I'm this age, therefore I can't do. There is no physiological reason for that. Except you believe it. And if you believe that, yeah. that's why people die when they retire. And that's why people get to 60 years old and say, oh, I'm old. Or really, what bothers me about that is I see people 30 or 40 all the time who talk about, well, I'm too old to do that anymore. Dude. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> you got 40 years of life left, and you're talking about you're too old to do something at 35 and 40. Years Dude, you gotta, you're going to have things are going to get rough. Things are going to get stupid for you if you don't do some things to make the vehicle you come you, you walk around in armor-plated against the world. And mm-hmm. and I got 60-year-old women who are doing that. Why can't a 30-year-old, you know, why, and first of all, why wait? Why not experience that vitality and start it now? But why, you know, do I mean, like, I literally got 60-year-old women who are stronger than most of the 30-year-old guys. I mean, yeah. <laughs> You know, and that's only from a couple of months of training. It's just it's just in learning what to do. You you can do amazing things if you just get to where you can believe you can do those things. Mm -hmm. And we're we're all carrying around a potential we're not fulfilling, and we're we're living in a way that's so submaximal. Well, that that's part of why I want to do this. Number one, I wanted to help these ladies get out of pain. But I got to work with them, and I got seeing them make these mental jumps. And then I got like really excited about. I'm going to get them to do the crazy. I'm now we're doing ridiculous stuff. We're doing all kind. Of, we're doing not only are they doing heavy deadlifts. We're doing you know we're dragging tires. We're throwing knives and stuff. We're throwing axes. We've done um, uh, all every all kind of crazy stuff. Last week I had them all pull a truck. And then, you know, oh some of women Lord. still can barely. Yeah, last week I had I had literally <laughs> women up to into their seventies pulling a truck down the street. And you know what? That's you can insane. do. I'm, I'm, dude, it's a video on my Facebook and Instagram of uh, several of these women are in their sixties and seventies. They're pulling. One of them are pulling a little West Ham. The other ones are pulling. Some of them pulled even a a bigger four door Toyota Tundra. Pulling it with a heart. Oh. Dude, and these somebody's going to walk four months, three, four months ago. You oh, can, that must have made them feel so good. That's exactly it. That's exactly it, dude. That's why we're doing, that's what I'm doing with that. That's the whole point of that. Is it opens their mind to, oh, my God, my life is not over. 
I can do – I'm not headed to a wheelchair. I'm headed the opposite direction. I'm getting – I'm headed to – you know, I'm not headed to a nursing home. I'm headed to being able to do stuff. I'm and, – and, and, and here's the thing. Most of them would they – would, they would balk at first because they're like, there's no way. I, I trust you. You just trust me and just try. I know you can do this. I, 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 know, I know how to gauge your strength and what we're doing and the rest of the stuff well enough to understand you can do this. And because they've had a track record of success and all this stuff right now, and they oh, well, I could do that. And he said, was right. All right, we'll try. Okay. Every one of them pulled it. Every one of them yeah. pulled it, dude. They're, and they, they couldn't, you know, they're like, oh, I can't believe it. Well, yeah. But you can. You have, your potential is there if you just learn how to unlock it. And that, that's become literally the whole point of this is it's an anti-aging thing. It's an anti-physical, um, you know, it's a fragility thing. It's a, it's a, uh, it's building that mind and body to be able to do those things. And if they're doing that at what we consider the worst possible case scenario of being able to do it, why aren't the rest of us do it? You know, why aren't the, uh, dude, it's totally possible. You're, you know, you're, except you just don't want your grandma to show you up because your grandma just pulled your truck down the street and you don't want to want to get school by your grandma. Oh, that's awesome. And that's so awful too because there's so many people out there that I know personally who, you know, because of um, some discomfort that they have, uh, whether it's, you know, like arthritis and like, like crippling things, you know, and they, the concept there is like, oh, I have to, you know, I have to rest more. And I, that always worries me because all I see, you know, with, with that, like even with those people is, is that just atrophy starts to get worse and then they start to, um, they start to lose confidence within their own abilities. And in my opinion, it starts physical, but that all, that goes all the way down to mental abilities as well, eventually, you know? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Once they give into it, it starts to crush their mental thought process. It starts to that, that that is when you once you start doing that, you start accepting the idea that you're you're becoming less capable and you're getting what we call quote unquote old. That's exactly what's happening with that. And and I tell people this all the time. Hey, all right, uh, if you. The end, or not even the end, but just moving toward through life, okay? If you get enough miles on you, and it really don't matter if you're 30 or if you're 80, okay? I I know some 30-year-old ex-rodeo guys who've been beat up one side or the other, and they got arthritis. Well, yeah, if you get kicked by a horse 500 times or thrown off a bull 30,000 times, you're going to, you know... You know, okay, it's just saying if you beat the body up that much, you're going to have those issues. But here's the thing. Here's what happens. We we cave into pain and we stop moving. But by doing so, we let it win mentally, and more than that, we even let it win physically. Because here's what's going to happen: you, you at some point or another, you're going to have some issues. If you stop moving, you're going to keep having the issue, and it's going to get worse, and you're still going to have that pain. Because everybody I know who has arthritis, out of the hundreds of people I've ever dealt with with that, okay, who have arthritis. When they stopped moving, their arthritis didn't get better. They didn't get out of pain. They just moved less, and guess what happened? They lost the ability to move. The inflammation progressed anyway. They didn't get out of pain. 
and they lost the ability to do what they wanted to do, and then they mentally accepted it and just said, oh, well, that's my lot in life. I can't do, I can't, I'm stuck, I can't, yeah, well. So you got two choices. You can hurt and keep moving and keep the ability, and if you find the right thing, you can probably help it and definitely hurt less than you hurt before, or you can stop moving and still hurt, and you're going to hurt about the same or maybe more but you just are going to avoid the movements that hurt at all, and you're just going to have to sit and, and accept that life is passing you by, and that's all there is to it. I don't think it's even a, a, a choice. I think the, the choice is you have to keep moving. You have to keep doing those things, even if they hurt. And, 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 and here's the thing. If you hurt, the thing is, a lot of the things that we do therapeutically just don't help. We're, they just are not, they're not a big help. They're not much. Here's the thing, you don't, if you, most people don't have a lot of raw base to work with, okay? Um, even if you have some arthritis, but you're very strong, you can probably still move. Most of us just aren't strong enough to keep moving, even if you don't. So we don't have the raw materials to work with, and here's the thing about that. We, we are taught to think that strength is a damager, when strength might actually be a, uh, a help. Um, Strength might actually drive down the markers of inflammation if you do it in a controlled manner. But we're also taught that building strength requires hours in the gym. It requires massive amounts of volume. If you, and even young guys, I caution them about this. I think there, we should look at inflammation in two ways. That means this. You have inflammation that is immediate and inflammation that's ongoing. Okay? Uh, you do a workout that's a heavy lift, and your personal recovery ability drives your immediate inflammation down so that in three days you could lift the same you lifted before or, and surpass. You possibly, you know, you could possibly lift more or do more or whatever. So your immediate level of inflammation, your surface level recovery is down to the point where you're actually what we would consider recovered. But maybe your systemic and long-term recovery isn't really, and so that even if you go back to that on, on, on a more often basis or on a more volume basis or whatever way we're gauging that, yes, you're getting stronger, but the little things, the little bits of inflammation that aren't completely healing, that are the deeper level of inflammation, are getting worse and worse and worse. And that's why you see lifters with... Um, short careers now because they do a massive volume of heavy work and what happens is they're recovering, they're getting stronger, they're getting stronger, they're getting stronger, but their other more deeper levels of inflammation are still going up and up and up and up because they're under recovering in that particular part. And that's why I think we have the problems in because we what we've tried to do is translate strength in a way that doesn't adapt it to the population that needs it. That's why I train those women with single rep sets to start with. Um, because they, it, because that allowed them to not add any level of inflammation to what they were doing and actually get stronger. And all of a sudden, they, got, they were not just getting stronger. They were getting less sore from their daily life, not more sore from their daily life because their strength was going up and up and their body was able to tolerate their daily life, but the training wasn't adding problems to what they were doing. And there's the thing with that. We, we pushed training and I'm guilty of this as anybody else, you know what I'm saying? And we push it to the level that, you know, you, you, um, you destroy yourself from it. 
And that's okay to do occasionally as long as you're managing both your day-to-day as well as your long-term systemic recovery. Not just are the muscles functioning better, but are your joints, are your tendons, are your ligaments, are you, you energetically recovered, are you, you know. So if it takes an extra day or two between sessions, between, say, a heavy or hard session to get your full recovery back to normal and then go go back to that or if you need to go, you know, manage the volume in a little better way or frequency in a little better way so that you're not only recovering and you're getting stronger on the surface, but you're getting stronger and recovering in a deeper way. You know, that I think is a secret to, to the long term of both building and, and building people up and building yourself up without creating the damage and the problems that we have. And we just haven't been able to translate that, I don't think, to most people, especially in a therapeutic setting or in a setting for, you know, for normal people, for people who don't, you know, let their backyard on fire and throw axes and stuff, that kind of, that kind of thing. And, uh, I do want to be respectful of your time, bud. So do you, uh, do you have anywhere that people can check out any of your strength and conditioning routines, um, or pick up any of your books or your DVDs? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, you can find me at, on, on, we have a couple of websites. Uh, you can find me at www.anunconventionallife.com. And we spell that with just one L, okay? So unconventional L, and the L in life is the same L. So just one, one L. Um, we're actually going to probably build a new, you know what, I, I ne- again, I never intended to do this thing with training these, you know, group of women, but evidently now I'm building my own, you know, women, my own girl gang of, of you know, girls doing crazy stuff. So we're actually going to open a website for them uh, called strongerwomen.life. We're going to open that. That's not, that's going to, that's not exist yet, but we have the domain. It's coming soon. Um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram under my name, under Bud Jeffries. And you can, there's links to, to a website and stuff for that. So you can find my books and DVDs. And if you want to learn how to do, you know, whatever crazy stuff or whatever. And, and a lot of the stuff we're talking about in the podcast today is new stuff that I'm going to be teaching in, in more um, kind of in-depth ways on, on this. So like I haven't really – what I just talked to you about that theory on inflammation is fairly new as far as – I haven't really talked about it publicly um, much. And uh, – and, and moving toward that, so traditionally what I've done and the books that I've written have been based toward uh, high-level training, um, meaning uh, I, I was telling you what I'm doing and what I think is the best way to get to the top-end world-class of strength and conditioning or whatever, but I haven't talked as much about anti-aging and about the other stuff that we're moving toward now because I, I, I think you can help more people that way. You know, the, uh, Not that many cats want to squat 900 or 1,000 pounds. But everybody wants to move yeah. better, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but, exactly. now, okay, but, if, but here's the thing about that. The crazy thing about that is a lot of that training, even with that other stuff, is simply scaled down to normal to the normal level. Um, a lot of what I have these women do is what I do. It's just scaled to their level. It's not, yeah. you know, it's just, a, it's just a level of, it's the same training, really. It's the same lifts, the same... Stuff. It's just focused on the pounds you can use and the ability parts you can tolerate, and the you know it's meeting you where you are with your thing. Um, if you can find me in both places, uh, you can also find we have a, a charity uh, that we'd love everybody to support, and this is something that's really close to our heart called Noah's Army, and that's at officialnoahsarmy.com. I'm sorry, officialnoahsarmy.org. Um, I can never remember the website thing for that uh, because the dot com and org and all that stuff never yeah. registered in my head. Um, 
but that's uh, something we're committed to do to helping. We raise money for scholarships for police and fire, and uh, we have a, a, a uh, women's assistance and an elderly assistance program that we can help people uh, with with that. And uh, we're actually going to do – my wife came up with this idea. I think this is the coolest freaking idea ever. So my wife has this habit of uh, – and we try to do this for, for other people as much as possible. We want to pay things forward. We want to help people where we can. And she has this – it's a silly little thing, but it's wonderful. She goes through a toll on a toll road. She almost always pays for the person behind her. Just as a thing. Just as a uh, – you know, just as a thing. And what we wanted to do mm-hmm. is create a way to pass that along to people. Or if you do something nice for people, to give them something tangible to um, to pass that along to somebody else. So I don't want them – I don't want back. I don't want you to do a favor for me. I want you to – if I did something for you, I want you to go find somebody else and do that for them. So connected to Noah's Army, we will very, very soon have what we call Noah's, Noah's ARK coins. And this is a coin – and ARK stands for ARK, obviously, but it stands for Acts of Random Kindness. Uh-huh. These are coins, and here's the point. If you see somebody who needs help, if you see somebody who, like, okay, a police officer or a veteran or somebody eating lunch, you pick up the tab for their lunch or whatever, don't tell them you did something nice for them. Have the waitress or have somebody have the, the toll booth who you just pay for. Hand them the coin. Pass it along, and it'll say, pass this act of random kindness along on the coin. Uh-huh. And you can give it to them and give them the idea of helping somebody else, and they'll help somebody else. And, and, and it rem- it's a tangible reminder that we have much, there's so much to do to help other people, and so much to do to, to pass that along. And to just, you know what? We all complain about how bad the world is. Well, if you want to fix it, that's just. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Becoming Human podcast. If you'd like to check out more of Bud Jeffries, I'll leave all the links to his website and social media in the show notes, nonconventionallife.com and Bud Jeffries on Instagram. If you guys would like to support the podcast, share it with a friend, rate review on iTunes or Google Play, or perhaps you can head over to the website, becominghumanpodcast.com and pick up a hat or a t-shirt. It'll keep your nipples warm, right? Or wait, free the nipple. Maybe you should make shirts with little holes cut out around the nipples. Might contour the colors or complement the colors a little bit. Nah, I'll just keep them normal. Well, till next time. Bye.